if this happened years ago, if there was a brand that scooped us up with enough money and said, we want to do this, Little Chunk wouldn't be here. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 12 of Creator Economy Live. As always, this is the place to get the download on all things creator economy and influencer marketing. We are your hosts, Keith Bendiz and Brendan Gann, and we are joined today by Brian Reesberg. Brian's a creator and entrepreneur. He founded Little Chunk, a pet brand currently offering dog backpacks, although they're expanding the product line. And he's probably best known as the owner of Maxine the Fluffy Corgi. Maxine's got well over 5 million followers across social channels. On top of all this, Brian is an accomplished filmmaker and creative director. So today we'll be learning about Brian's journey, what it's been like going from filmmaker to nine to fiver to creator and entrepreneur, as well as the problem with creator brands, why Beast Burgers was a mistake, why it all goes down in the DMs, and how Maxine collabed with Ed Sheeran. Stick around. This was an incredible episode. Brian, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is awesome. I always love talking to you. So maybe we can start at the beginning. Like, can you give a little bit of background on like your professional history? Because you've had such an interesting arc going from like filmmaker to creative director and then creator and entrepreneur. I uh, would love to sort of set the stage here. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll try and keep this, try and keep it brief. So I went to film school at NYU. And I got out, was writing my first feature, which uh, I wrote and directed, went to South by Southwest in 2014, Oscilloscope released in 2015. And throughout that whole time, I'm working in advertising, started off as uh, like an editor at Mother, went to Deutsch. They finished my career in advertising at a smaller agency called Anchor as a creative director. And so basically, after I finished my first feature, this is 2015, my wife and I got married, we got a dog, was living on the Upper West Side. And I had left advertising for a short period of time because I wanted to make a run at directing. So I joined a commercial production company called Green Card, and I worked out of their office every day, which was downtown. So I had a puppy, and in order to bring my puppy with me to the office, because I didn't want to put her in daycare, dogs need to be in bags to ride the subway in New York City. That was a rule. So I tried every carrier known to man. I started an Instagram account as a creative outlet. Uh, this is 2015. So influencers weren't a big thing. Creator economy wasn't a thing. It was just a place to like post shit because work wasn't coming in at the frequency I wanted it to. So it would be my outlet. I would take nice photos and make videos and, and, you know, it just over time, it slowly started to grow. The pandemic hit, TikTok came along, we got on TikTok and everything just kind of like, it was a hockey stick from there. I mean, the pandemic was was a wild, I mean, an awful time, but just from an, an, an online perspective, it was like, it was wild. And then finally left full-time work six years after starting the account in 2021. We launched Little Chunk. And then now that's what I do for a living. I have a question. And like, it's interesting. I mean, you were so passionate both about like the content and thoughtful, and you've got this deep background on the creative side. But you've made this leap also to the the brand and product and business side. And as a creator, I'm curious your take 
on sort of the broader landscape in terms of like there's a push for creator-driven brands. What do you think most people don't understand about creator-driven brands and what have you learned along the way? Just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're going to be good at another thing. And they're two remarkably different skill sets. And the crazy thing, it's it's so it's so fucking difficult to start to start a company even when you have like listen when we when we launched like she had millions of followers on TikTok you know almost a million on Instagram it's like you think you think when you have that distribution channel people should be banging on your door to come work but it's like you're going to get people who want to work with you but what we've seen in the space is it's so saturated with these agencies and middlemen who want to white label products and find some kind of shortcut. It's really no different than I think any other industry. It's like, it's full of all of these people who are going to give you all of their opinions. And because I didn't go to business school or because I'm not as well versed in certain things, it's really hard to sift through the noise to figure out what decision is the best decision to put myself, my brand, my community on the path to success. And nobody's going to do it for you. You have to do it yourself, which I know that that sounds really intuitive. But for creators, when you build a platform this big, you get used to building people around you who can help support you in different capacities. And when you start a company like this, you're not going to have those people. You have to do it yourself. And it's just a really different muscle because like you've built a platform with millions of followers doesn't mean you have something to sell. And even if you do have something to sell, it doesn't mean you're going to sell it well. I've seen it all over the place. You know, somebody who goes viral once is talking about like leaving their job and doing this. And it's just not like that. 15 minutes is still 15 minutes. And I talk to a lot of different creators and they're like, how do we do what you do? It's like, well, I didn't get into this to make money. I didn't get into this to start a product. I got into this because I loved my dog and I liked making shit. And then I just kind of followed breadcrumbs slowly since 2015. Like it's taken us that long to get here. And every day I still think like, it's not good enough. It's not going to work, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So we've been around for a while and, and my goals honestly are still very not driven by money. Even though the honest truth is, I know if I stay with that as my North Star, the money's going to come. That's the honest fact. I know it. So a lot of people on the business side don't like to hear I'm not influenced by money. And what I mean by that is the foundation of what we're building doesn't have a financial influence to it. But I know, I know for a fact that if we stay true to creating quality products, to building an audience, to giving people something they want, like that's a, that's a very simple thing that was, you know, kind of like a mantra of Paul Graham who started Y Combinator, just make something people want, which you're finding, I think, less and less and less in the creator economy because everybody's, everybody's looking to just make a lot of money very quickly. And I think that comes on the heels of the TikTokification of creators is that it happens very fucking fast. And you see that like you are literally an inch away from a life-changing video. And that's true. That's it, it really is true. But it's not going viral that's the hardest part. It's what you do with it afterwards. And then what happens when you have like those moments where you're not really sure what you're doing like as with everything peaks and valleys you know, especially as a creator. To Brendan's question, do you find, one, it was easier than you thought to produce products, like literally logistically? Because one thing we were going to talk about today, which we can even start with, is it was interesting that Fanjoy filed for bankruptcy. 
and you had Teespring, I think it was originally called, filed for bankruptcy, then it went to Spring, then they got bought by Maze. But that was the, the lowest denominator of if you have any following, you could create a t-shirt or a hat or a mug or whatever in 24 hours, right? And be up. And now you're seeing brands get or creators get way more sophisticated. These are beauty products. These are apparel products. And the quality needs to be much higher than just some white labeled thing that any company can just produce. But what did you learn about, I mean, you could get to marketing too of it, but more from a logistical, actually producing a quality product that you could ship to someone who wants to buy it. What was that process like as a creator? We launched some shit with FanJoy. I wasn't too into it. We took some photos. Didn't do that well. And then I was like, I I still want to give something to people because they're like eager to rep what we're doing. So I actually went to a company that I had known about for years called Homage. I learned about Homage when I went to Ohio about 15 years ago, went into the store, put on a t-shirt. It was the softest thing I had ever worn. And I, I just loved what they were doing. Reached out to them. Guys, I love this. Here's my dog. Here's what I'm proposing. And we actually struck up a little deal. We designed it. We gave it to them. They gave some input on the designs. We made the shirts and they did really well. And then that kind of clicked, something in my head clicked. And so then I went over to another company that I loved called Oxford Pennant. Found something that they were selling in New York. I was like, who is making this stuff? It's designed well. The quality is nice. It's framed on my wall. Reached out to Oxford. Incredible people. Said, let's do a capsule collection. If you can put your design team on it, We'll take the photos, we'll push it out there. And they came, again, it was just people who gave a shit. I think that's really what it came down to. Like they didn't, they didn't make some bottom of the barrel design. They don't outsource quality. Quality is in-house. And I have this belief that all these creators who are white labeling or doing this, you're not, you're going to make up probably based on your size, you'll probably make a lot of money very quickly. But if you're looking to create a sustainable brand if you're looking, I mean, it's really a marathon. You've got to start with a good product and a good value proposition. And I mean, the marker for me is Skims. I was talking to Brendan about this last week. For what it's worth, my, my wife and I, we're not like big into Kim Kardashian. Like, we don't really give a shit. It doesn't bother us, but like, you know. And she loves Skims because they're, they're actually disrupting the category, creating a quality product. And it really changes your mindset, not just about the... It, it, I mean, it completely transformed the way I think about somebody like Kim Kardashian and, you know, kind of what she's building. And I think if you really want to make a mark and have success after launch, my co-founder, Scott Dunn, one thing he always says, launch is overrated. Never understood that until we launched Little Chunk. L- launch was so fucking fun. It was great. You build up all this excitement. You see all these sales hit. But then what happens when all those sales start going down? What do you do? How do you keep talking about the product if the product isn't great, if you don't really believe in it, if you're just white labeling something because you have a distribution channel? How are you going to have conversations with investors and VC firms where like, I would bleed for what we're building because I believe in it that strongly. Like nobody can ever remove the confidence I have in what we're building. Like, how are you going to do that if you're white labeling products or you're just trying to make a few bucks? It's not sustainable. So I don't know. That's what I think of FanJoy. I think the quality was shitty and you might buy one thing because you love their creator, but like, are you really going to come back to it as you grow? Like, you know, I think there's this window with creators that you have this audience of people and I don't think it lasts that long. I think you either have to grow with your audience or you have to stay firmly with that age group. 
So anyway, that's what I think about Fanjoy. I'm not surprised by it. They're not going to be the last one, unfortunately. It's interesting. I pulled up this stat. I am ready to do this LinkedIn post. And I came across this data point that ties very nicely to this. So I'll just sort of read it here. But creators are reshaping consumer buying patterns. As highlighted by Dan Frommer's Consumer Trends Report, this report states that creators can drive product exploration, even in new categories where a consumer isn't necessarily a regular buyer. This phenomenon over-indexes amongst Gen Z and millennials. So like they're, they will buy from a creator, but sustaining customer loyalty within these brands presents challenges. In the study, repeat purchases for creative different brands dwindled to a mere 3% over the course of a year. And, you know, they don't have attribution in terms of what was driving that. But I think your thesis is probably spot on. The product probably wasn't that great. Like, a creator can get your foot in the door, but the product is then going to open it wide up or just slam it shut. You know, nothing kills a, a shitty product faster than great advertising. And I think that's what a lot of creators are experiencing right now. Yeah, and it's really like, I think the mindset of wanting those quick gains or thinking that it's not, I mean, listen, even as a creator, I have those moments where it's just like, this, sh- this should be easier, you know? And and, I, and I, I get it. I get that thinking. Like, you post a video, it does millions of views and blah, 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 blah. But the truth is, it's like, I think you still got to be very in tune with a traditional business entrepreneurial mindset to understand how you can pull these levers at launch, keep it going. And you have to think about the whole journey over and over and over and over. And I feel really lucky to have one waited this long to do it. And two worked in advertising. Basically, since I was 20 or 21, up until like 32, I just try and shut the fuck up at these jobs try and listen and try and squeeze as much out of these opportunities. And it really helped me learn something about like just advertising in general, what the goal of a, of a, of a strategy meeting is like how we think about these products, how we think about customers, how we think about who we're targeting, how we think about different companies at different stages and why this amazing company isn't doing as well as you think and what they need to do to figure it out. So it also kind of allowed me to meet, a lot of people who I work with today that, that that kind of have helped us on our journey. I don't want to give anybody the impression that uh, I'm really not big into founder myth-making. Like, I am just a small part of this huge operation of, of needing different people who have different opinions about different things, which, you know, when you're the creator, when you're the person who's built this thing, it gets, it really gets hard to start to take a back seat to like your own operation, which I think is really important, especially for creators to understand, just to sit and listen to what all of these different people have to say about how you can exercise paid media, how you have to think about supply chain logistics. All of our advisors, Brendan included, one of our advisors, the CEO of Bombas, who's been instrumental in helping guide our path and how we think about things because it's just such new territory. And now we're playing in a league with a lot of heavy hitters. And so if you want to really, really deliver on the promise of like these fun articles of like, could this be the next, you know, those are fun articles. But I think for the sake of the creator economy and the longevity of all of my peers, it behooves us to work really fucking hard to try and be a good case study 
so that when so-and-so company invests in us, they get a return so that when this other creator comes along and says, I have this, they're more inclined to get some money. So, you know, we were talking about Beast Burger the other day. That's another one that really, I mean, I can't tell you how pissed off I am at that entire situation. Whatever the inner workings of it are, it's not good for the rest of us. You know, when you have the guy who's literally at the top of the pole position of the creator economy running into issues like this, it's like, come on, give me a fucking break, man. Don't outsource it. <laughs> that one kills me because it's not it, that kind of news is not good for anybody. Please elaborate on how pissed off you are. I think this is a great topic. I love a lot of things that Jimmy has done with Mr. Beast and what Night Media has done. But I think when you're when you're in that position, I mean, this was a big fucking misstep, an expensive one, not just for Mr. Beast and what they're building, but for everybody else, because everybody's looking at it like, I mean, he outsourced to a ghost kitchen. You're building a burger chain. I don't know whose idea that was or who was on top of quality control here, here, but like you can imagine that a bunch of people took their finger off the button. And that's, again, I'm sure there are people listening who are like, well, that wasn't the situation or this wasn't. I don't know much about it because I don't I just didn't I don't read a lot about it or dive into minutia. But also, to some extent, that doesn't matter. (laughs) What matters is what everybody thinks is happening or I'm eager to see this get resolved and for lessons to be learned so we can all move on to like trying to do things the right way. It doesn't help when you have smaller creators trying to do shit. It's just going to, I think, and I've thought this for a while, that it's only going to get more difficult. You'll have this first wave of money coming in. A lot of VCs are going to lose money and the market's going to correct itself and it's going to be a lot more difficult to have write that pitch deck or prove yourself out to somebody who's going to invest in your business. So... And you're going to have a lot of creators. Listen, you've, you've something that's amazing about your background is your education, your experience. You've crafted a trade that helped you in these different endeavors. I mean, think about all of your production skills and how that informed your content quality, and then all your business and agency skills and how that's informing the creation of a brand. Unfortunately, a lot of creators aren't going to have that. And so they're going to see quick dollar signs. They're going to see an expansion of revenue beyond their social platforms and their brand partnerships, and they're going to try to grab it and probably try to grab it really quickly while they're still relevant. And they're going to sacrifice quality, and we're going to see a lot of this happen. So it's interesting. I saw, I don't know if you've seen this, Brendan, but a bunch of people on different social platforms, I saw them posting their first five TikTok shop purchases and how random some of these purchases were. And back to your stats, the first thing I thought in my head is how many of them will repeat this purchase? And how many of these purchases are going to give this initial false feeling for the creators who are making these products or the brands making these products that we're on the right track, let's keep expanding. So I think to your point, Brian, longevity and sustainability is going to be such a key thing here for products in the future. And it's a shame to see someone that big, to your point, cut a corner that is going to have an impact on the industry. I'm not going to be surprised to see the long tail of creators do that. But for him to do it, I think was definitely was definitely interesting. So if you think about sponsorship revenue or just social platform revenue make through brand partnerships through everything else versus product revenue that you're making through your brand, any idea of where you want to take that or where you think that will go? What percent is one versus the other? The company is different. There's Maxine who has, you know, platform revenue and sponsorship and then the company is totally different. Maxine is not only marketing channel for that. And and I don't want it to be. The goal is to try and move a little chunk away from Maxine. Because we've already noticed, like, there's issues with at least a pet account. 
you know, there's limitations to it. Also in the kind of communication we do to our audience, like our audience is largely evangelists, loyalists, people who've been around for a long time. And I try and be very careful with what we do. Like I'm not advertising a lot for a little chunk. They also know we're doing a lot of little chunk stuff. We'll have a video here and there and, you know, try and be very careful with what we post and try to post something that I think will go viral or reach new people. But the creator side of this, and we talk to different VCs about it because, you know, a lot of a lot of what we're doing now and in the future is going to be under a holding company model where everything is kind of wrapped underneath, excluding kind of Maxine's accounts. But the amount of money generated by like her account versus what Little Chalk, I mean, Little Chalk has already tripled what she does. And when I think about everything else, like this... I don't think the dog will make me as much money as this. I mean, like we're putting everything into this company. You know, we started it because we wanted to build the Nike for the pet industry. So maybe knock on wood hasn't happened yet, but Maxine might be able to make me a millionaire. Hopefully a little chunk. We'll add a B to that, but the ambitions are so high and they're going to stay there. I mean, if you're going to do this job, you got to love every aspect of it. You got to love doing it when you're, like when you're like feeling shitty, you got to keep going, even when like, you're not feeling great about the work you're doing or where you're going with it. You, you got to like what you're doing enough to just keep the train running. And listen, those days, it's not like, I'll be honest, I think I have one of the best jobs in the world. I take care of my dog. So it's a great place to be. But of course, with that comes, as with anything, I think the same kind of occupational hazards that come with another job. But my point is, I would not be spending 24-7 on Little Chonk if I did not believe in the mission of, of what we're doing. And also, like, not to be totally altruistic about it, like, yeah, I expect there to be an acquisition or a big payout at the end of it because of how hard we're, I mean, we're working really fucking hard. And I firmly believe that we're providing something that nobody else can do. And so I think if you're not reaching that level, like, why invest so much time and energy into a company? And if you don't believe in it, just, I don't know, get a ghost kitchen. <laughs> Throwing shade, dude. I love it. Yeah, I just don't. I don't know. It's totally different. For most creators, you're not going to be able to make something or build something that isn't so closely aligned with your brand. I think the Dobricks and the Mr. Beasts, it's like fun and you can, you've got the capital to do it to make this burger chain. And I've actually heard like my brother-in-law loves the burgers. I've never tried it. I think you have the capital and the equity to do that because of who you are. Most creators will not have the capital or the equity or the brand loyalty to build something that's so outside their wheelhouse. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's right and left brain and, and it's tough to build a company just as it is. But being a creative person who like builds an audience, that's a totally different skill. I love the aspirations of being the Nike for pets. I don't, I'm not asking you to disclose anything you don't want to disclose, but five, 10 years down the line, from like a product standpoint, can you tease the audience sort of your, some of the things that you're envisioning that you haven't quite been able to uh, bring to fruition? Yeah. So the pet industry is really interesting because they're so far behind like human products or well-designed products. It just, I don't know why. 
But and it's not that we're, we haven't brought it to fruition yet. We're currently working on follow up products in different categories within the pet industry. You can look at any category. And there will be kind of like a few good products that do stupid numbers on Amazon. Like we've looked at certain categories their products are doing like 60 million a year and they're products you've never heard of and they look like trash and you don't know who makes them and they're not that well designed. So it's just really exciting because I think if you've got a brand that has garnered some loyalty, which is, you know, that's our goal is that we are going to be one of the first brands that people will know by name in the pet industry and that they will seek out again and again and again because we prize ourselves on quality and playfulness and being left of center from what everybody else is doing. Everybody's going right, we're going to go left. And we've got like the data to support everything we're doing. So we're leaning into a bunch of different product categories to build best-in-class products that people haven't seen before that aren't a massive departure for pet parents, but it's like, there are problems like in, I don't know, like they, we solved in carriers. There's, there's shit that people aren't thinking about that we can make easier so they can integrate into their lives a little bit better. The pen industry is really, it's really fun. I don't know why there's nobody out there designing really nice shit, but hey, we're happy to be here. Creator Economy Live. Join Keith and Brendan live and in person, as well as hundreds of brands in Vegas on January 17th for lively conversation and debate about everything in the world of influencer marketing and the creator economy. Given your your kind of success in social leading into this whole endeavor, where do you see social commerce playing a role? I know the last month or two, TikTok shop has been all over the trades. There's reports in the last few weeks that different companies are making thousands and thousands of dollars on shop right now. Are you selling through any social commerce platforms? Do you think that's going to play a big role? We started on TikTok shop. I mean, we've seen some return on it. I imagine if we had a really robust department to manage it, but I don't know. It's really interesting because we think a lot about brand, you know, are these things brand dilutive? Who's buying the product? How are they engaging with the, the, the company? How are we being represented on these social media platforms? You know, it's really interesting when you look at it from a point of view of like traditional advertising, which is how I came up. And that's, I know that's weird because I'm a creator, but that's still kind of, as an entry point, social media is fun. But I think if you're trying to really get to the next level in terms of like consideration and awareness, I mean, TikTok shop may be good for like selling product, but like, I don't know. I question it all. We're looking at like building a really sustainable company that, shows healthy growth month over month. So we're still exercising some traditional avenues of doing that. I'm skeptical about all these all these things because the tools come out, they're not proven. So everybody just rushes to do it. And there's pros and cons to it. Like, I don't know, YouTube shorts come out. If you rush to YouTube shorts when it came out, you probably got a really healthy following. Like I know friends who have like three, four million followers on YouTube because they're very early. You know, some of the things might not work out, but where is it going to be and where is like commerce going to be? I, I truly have, have no idea. I mean, we're starting to notch our way into a different model of the way that we run our business. A lot of my friends are some of the biggest dog accounts in the world. For example, our next product is going to be a hiking backpack. We recently signed on an influencer who has about 15 million followers across platforms. He's a much bigger jacked guy with a much bigger dog who has carried his dog in a much bigger bag. That is also a much bigger piece of shit. So. What we did was we signed him to an influencer or an endorsement deal, and he's going to get front end and back end, and he's going to help us design and launch the product. 
and we're going to name it after his dog. So that's kind of one way that I think brands can move in the right direction is working with the people who dominate this category on social media. We have our own community. We have our own audience. We've helped build it in the pet industry. But as we start gathering other people, it's just going to keep showing people that whichever account they follow, they're a part of Little Chunk. So our goal is to like blanket as many people as possible with with what we're doing, with with the people they love, with the dogs that they love, to build products around them, and to try and really create a community-driven brand. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that anymore. I mean, Brent and I have talked at nauseum on this podcast about creator partnerships for products and how big of an opportunity that is for brands. I mean, this might have always been your calling, but if you think about pet brands four or five years ago, what if one of them came to you and offered you the same deal that that you're doing with this person? Like, would you have been their partner versus their potential competitor? And I think every creator out there, that is a question, right? You have to ask that question as a brand. Am I getting you? Am I getting you on my side early enough or are you going to be a potential competitor? If honestly, honestly, if this happened, if this happened years ago, if there's a brand that scooped us up with enough money and said, we want to do this, Little Chunk wouldn't be here. I firmly believe that. And that's the exact point, right? That's the point. How many creators out there could brands be partnering with today that in five, 10 years are going to be their main competitors? If somebody just came to us and said like, hey, we know that there should be better out there. We want to help you build it. We want to, it's just like, you took too fucking long. So we're going to do it. And so we actually, we see these deals now. We know creators who are making deals with these big box companies. And like, they're getting offered amounts of money that are very difficult to turn down but it does not equate to the value that this influencer is going to bring to this brand. And it's going to be a shitty deal. So yeah. And that's the choice. Yeah, I feel really lucky that we never got those, that nobody was, was quick to the uptake of the pet industry. Yeah. Every creator is going to have to make that choice. And you're different though, because you can run a company like a CPG brand almost and have the skill set to do it. And I think for a lot of creators, if they don't have that, they're looking at risk reward and saying, potentially I should take the check because I'm not willing or understanding how to build this brand potentially on my own. But Brendan, do you see, like when you talk to a lot of creators, are they looking at creator brands and products as like a nice offshoot to start stepping away from long-term content creation? Like, did you see D'Amelio posted a few times to TikTok the other day. And it was like, she hasn't posted in months and months and months and months. Are a lot of these creators saying, maybe I love doing it in the beginning and I don't know how long I can do this at this rate. Is this a nice step away long-term to build a revenue model that isn't social? Basically, when you talk to creators, do you feel like products and brands are a way for them to almost get out of this, not to get out, but to start limiting their exposure and need to post so often? I mean, it definitely seems for a significant subset of creators, they recognize that being on camera and sharing their lives constantly is probably not sustainable long-term. And, you know, it depends on the creator. Some people love it. They think they can do it forever. Others see it as a stepping stone to something else. But it definitely seems like, you know, over the last couple of years, we've seen the the burnout narrative. And I think a lot of creators see, yeah, building their own brand or product as a way to build a great career that has longevity, that removes them from this pretty, I mean, Brian can speak to this much better than I can, but taxing experience of, of being in front of the camera. I mean, I, I know just from my own experience and the little bit that I've done, 
it can be mentally exhausting at times. And, um, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Tim uh, Tusino. Um, I went for a run with him on on Saturday and he kind of echoed something he said on the pod. He's like, some days I just am so close to just like deleting all the social apps and going like J.D. Salinger. <laughs> like, and, you know, it's, it's such a unique love-hate relationship with these platforms where I think, you know, it provides so much opportunity and that can be like amazing and open so many doors, but at the same time applies like a lot of pressure that um, can be tough to deal with. Even people who got into this with like a natural love to make stuff, you're commoditizing art and, and creating. And I was listening to Sam Parr and he said this and then firmly disagreed with it because he loves competition, but I'm going to disagree with him. It was that, that quote, that comparison is the death of joy. Yeah, man, it really is. I firmly believe that as somebody who went to, you know, likes creating art, the fact that you feel this thing biting, like, oh, you got to post today. Even my mom said to me on a FaceTime, like, oh, Brian, I haven't seen you posting that much. I wanted to reach through the phone. And it's just, it's, it really isn't, in my opinion, it's not sustainable. I don't think it is because there's so many toxic thoughts that enter into the hemisphere, like even when you're doing well, you know, in social media, you're only as good as the next thing. Like we've had videos. I just had a video like a few weeks ago, do like 12 million views, but you're looking at other people, you know? And like, what's the next thing? What if you don't have a next thing? What if you haven't posted in four days? I mean, it's just, it truly is a lot. So just speaking to what Brendan is saying, like, I love making stuff, but I hate having to make stuff. Because it's like, I think by nature, I'm just like a naturally lazy person and I'll only make shit like when I'm compelled or when it's interesting to me. I don't have an outline of content I make. Like, I don't plan my days. It just, you just kind of go. And everybody's different, but like, it's, it's really difficult, which I know, like, listen, I'm playing a, a little violin here, but every job has its minefields. So I just think it's very mentally draining to do shit like this. One thing I've heard you talk about, and I think maybe, yeah, maybe you don't have like a mapped out content creation process and all that, but you, you seem to have a very clear sort of North Star. And I've heard you talk a bit about how you gather insights around what your community is engaging with. Can you talk, you know, double click a little bit on that, what you do to kind of generate insights in terms of like what is important to the community and then talk a little bit about how you incorporate that into your content creation process? I think the most the most underutilized channel, I've talked to a lot of creators about this, are the DMs. That to me is, I think, my the most important thing. Because that's where you have these one-to-one conversations. You learn what people like, what people dislike. And I think it can be a microcosm for the the larger community. Like at the end of every day, I'll just sit in the DMs and talk to people. And I think that's how you really foster a sense of loyalty in, in the people that follow you. But also you learn a lot from them. Like if we post something, you're gauging reactions left and right. I used to post videos of Maxine barking on our balcony and I made up names for like the girls in the neighborhood that she would talk to, which was totally fabricated. But I'm just following the how many people are responding to these stories where they want to hear more of Maxine talking with Patty, which is like her next door neighbor as they bark to each other. And then maybe you think, oh, I could turn that into a content series. And then, I mean, I think people are just so incredibly creative, which 
listen, you have people on TikTok who are like accountants and CPAs and doing this other shit. And now they're like chefs, professional chefs, or they're writers. And you just, there. I think there's so much that your community has to offer you. So it really is a revolving door. When you get kind of like lost in what to post, look at the data, look at what people are sharing on your Instagram stories. And then you'll really see what threads people are following. There are so many ideas that you see on our feed that were inspired by the DMs. Like I think, I wish I still had this one, but when Instagram stories first started, I was posting, this was 2017. I was posting videos of Max in the backpack and it was one woman. I don't remember any other information. It was a woman who lived in the United States who said, you should just post these to your feed as a compilation. And that was the first time I did it. And it just went gangbusters and it influenced probably like the next year of content I made. So back to the earlier point of shutting the fuck up, like you got to listen, you got to listen to people. Cause it's like, you know, they are, they are the, the, the community is why we get to do what we do. And I don't think anybody should ever mistake that, that, you know, the reason brands are knocking on your door to give you an amount of money to see you make shit is because of that number of people who follow you that you've gotten to follow you. So you have to really nurture that and talk to those people. And, you know, we, we reward people on a daily basis. They DM us something funny, we'll regram it. And even that, it's like people love that shit. So. Oh my God. Yeah. I, well, going back to Sam, I remember, uh, Last summer, I had a little shindig, and like, I don't think I'd ever seen Sam so excited about a repost. Like, he was like, I'm with Maxine. (laughs) You guys reposted it. He was like walking around for like, yeah. I mean, everybody loves it. So funny. All right. Transitioning to Cal Bao, creator of the week. Keith, you want to go first? Creator of the week. Yeah, sure. I have to give a shout out here. Do either of you know who Tara Styles is? She's the founder of Strala Yoga. Yeah, she's a she's an author. She's a yogi, a well being expert. She just did an interview with You Screen. It was it was a really interesting interview where she goes behind the scenes on how she generates revenue through memberships and all the stuff she does. But number one, I've been doing. She has something called flexibility and range of motion. Very basic stretching yoga routine. I think I've done it as often as I can for the last 10 years. And it's like changed a lot for me flexibility wise and stretching and all that stuff. So I I love her personally, but I thought the interview was really interesting. And to the combo we've been having, Brian, all that she talks about is how to build this subscription business and how she builds revenue, not just through these partnerships, but through through actually delivering value where consumers want to buy it. So I got to give Tara the shout out this week. Love it. I'll jump in next. And this is partly inspired by your comment, Brian. I was thinking about this this morning too, and I forgot to write it down. But, um, you know, about comparison is the thief of joy. And I just heard this podcast. The podcast is called Modern Wisdom. And he had this guy, David Pinsoff, on. And he's the guy who founded Cards Against Humanity. But his substack is everything is bullshit. And it's all about, he's like an evolutionary social scientist studying happiness. And he talks about how at the end of the day, nobody really knows what they want to be happy. But as humans, all we know is to play status games. And he does like these deep analysis on like how status plays a role in our lives and how we're always aspiring for something more. That's like 
human nature and we can't help but do that. And that's sort of what drives both innovation as well as a lot of negative side effects. And the uh, the podcast was really great. His blog is fascinating. He's got really great titles like, um, I'll pull the, his latest one is, Status is Weird and Values are Bullshit. Great writer, really articulate dude. Highly recommend you check out his uh, his Substack. Everything's bullshit. That's a great one. You're getting deeper every week, Brendan. I gotta say, the depth of Brendan through Cow every week is really coming through. <laughs> I want to shout out Alex Cooper, launching Unwell with uh, Alex Early and Madeline Argy. Just unreal. What she has been able to do with her career over the past few years, I'm just in awe of everything Alex Cooper. I think the content is great. The Everything that happened with Barstool, the way she got away from that, the partnership with Spotify, it's just like, hell yeah. So also, I love the name Unwell. It's a great name. For somebody like me, I don't stay as on top of other creators or social media as probably I should because I'm always so deep into it. Sometimes I got to like back up. And so when you get these people who just, they keep hitting, they just hit after hit after hit after hit and you start paying attention and they start crossing over into more mainstream. And then there's certain people in my life that when they start talking about these creators, then it's like, okay, Something happened here where this creator was able to kind of cross over. And I mean, I can't stop hearing the names Alex Cooper and Alex Earl out of, I mean, people's names all around me who have nothing to do with like social media. And I just find it so fucking impressive. People who can not only create something really nice, but people who can deftly navigate the business or make it seem like they're deftly navigating the business. I think she's got probably a really talented team. I think Alex Cooper's fiance kind of works in the space as well and has helped navigate that yeah matt kaplan it's just i don't know they're crushing it yeah she's on fire yeah i mean it's insane <laughs> keith brand of the week i'm gonna tip my hat to mcdonald's i don't know if you watched the as featured in commercial that went live it's gotten a lot of talk and a lot of hype the last few weeks but this is their next biggest or famous order series. So all the famous orders they were doing, this new ads featured in campaign. It's available in 100 countries, which is pretty impressive for a launch. It references the most iconic film and TV cameos over the years. So if you watch the spot, it opens. I think Richie Rich is the opening scene, which, you know, I don't know if a lot of people are too young for Richie Rich listening, but like a great scene, an epic scene. And it goes through all these scenes in pop culture, movies, TV, film, et cetera, that, that show McDonald's. And you can order these meals. And now they're going to release ads over the coming weeks and months. It's like building to the hype of a drop. So it's just a really well-done campaign. And I love the famous order. Going back to the discussion we had with Brian about you know creator-product partnerships, that really was famous order, has always been creator partnerships. The BTS one, the Cardi B one. But this is such an interesting twist and take on it. So I, I really like what McDonald's is doing. And their social content... I don't know if you all know their social lead. He's a fantastic, but they've been doing a, fa- a really, really good job. My brand of the week is in part, I should probably have her as a creator too, but I'm going to say Rare Beauty by Selena Gomez in part because the CMO is Katie Welch, who's also a TikTok creator. We became friends via TikTok. She's super smart. Admittedly, I'm not super well-versed on the beauty space, but that seems like an example of like a creator brand that is really, it's not 
slap my face on it. Selena Gomez is heavily, heavily involved, and it's got a great message. The company, I'm reading the um, the description here. The company aims to break down unrealistic standards of perfection by promoting inclusivity and addressing mental health initiatives in education. And I think oftentimes right now, brands feel like this compulsion to sort of jump on to kind of different trends, whereas this is like built into the DNA of that brand. So it's it's not this sort of trite, like, oh, we're, we're part of this too. It really is a part of who they are. And, you know, friends of mine that, uh, you know, use the product, they all seem to be huge, huge fans. And they just seem to be doing an incredible job. And I think it's like one of those creator brands, sort of similar to what, what Brian was talking about, where they like really took the product and this business very, very seriously and didn't go for the kind of the shortcut, let's cash in on the cachet of the celebrity. Did you see the documentary that she did? I thought it was really, she, I had a lot of respect for her after that. She's a, she's an interesting, like impressive person. I didn't know any of those things about her. I didn't know her very well or follow her stuff, but yeah, it was good, a documentary. She's, she's very impressive. All right, I'm going to watch it now. Amazing. Brian, how about you? This collab, I thought, was so brilliant. Recently, New Balance did a collab with Figs. You know the brand Figs? I don't. They are a brand that was founded by Heather Hassan and Trina Spear. They were the fourth largest raise in 2017. And they just won a four-year lawsuit against a massive incumbent and are disrupting a $10 billion healthcare industry by creating better scrubs for healthcare workers. So they did, they did a collaboration with new balance. I saw the flat for it and I was like, this is fucking genius because it changes my impression of both. It elevates figs. It's a very cool partnership for new balance. It broadens the reach of, I think both categories, both shoes and kind of like garments for healthcare workers that are in desperate need of disruption. And I'm just such a big fan of anything that has some really good strategic thinking behind it. Like, you know, I think we've seen recently, like, Liquid Death did a whole combine thing, PBR made like all this out of home experience. And like, all these things are like really cool. But I think I've I've gotten a little bit uh, jaded by advertising, because I think there are a lot of creatives who want something for their book. And that the client will think, this is really cool, or here's just a PR play. And I always question how it's going to really move the needle. And not just in a sales capacity, whether you're increasing conversion, consideration, or awareness. And I just think for all of those reasons, like a New Balance Figs collab, genius. I think it immediately says something about both products to me. Follow, unfollow. Keith, take it away. Yeah, my follow, I don't know if you're, you are all following this, but it's legislature that's happening with children in social media. There's a lot of different stuff out there right now. So Illinois was the first to, to pass something where children under 16 now are granted an earnings, a portion of the earnings that their parents receive from content featuring them. So it's protecting kids who are becoming influencers and creators that that earnings isn't just going to the parents. And so it was the first legislation really at the state level that was passed on this. Utah, this was a couple months ago, and there's a lot of, of news around this in different states across the country, was one of the first to pass laws where children need permission to use social media and that they're prohibited if they're under 18 from using social media between 10.30 p.m. and 6.30 a.m. So this topic of how 
the youth engaged with social media is now becoming a really hot one at the state level, and they're actively passing legislature. So I've been following a lot of this. I think it's really interesting, but I think over the next six months, we're going to see a lot of states take different stances on this issue. I think that's so important. Oh, yeah. Agreed. I think it is important. I think everyone's aligned with the high-level thinking that we need to protect children more when it comes to social, but there's a lot of differences in how that's going to come through with actual laws. Uh, But my unfollow is Amazon. Did you all see this? Amazon's offering $25 per video to creators, and there was just a chorus of giving them shit and commenting on how ridiculous that was. Now, if you actually read all of it, it was more like 500 videos. I don't know whose idea that was. Oh, terrible idea. The the language, if you read the whole thing, was it's 500 videos for up to $12,500, which up to $12,500 makes you think, oh, it's a decent payout for a creator. But yes, the division of $25 per video. I mean, I don't know how you feel, Brian, but I, I laughed when I saw that. It's just insulting. It's super weird. I think it goes beyond insulting. I think there is just, there's got to be a big misstep there. But then on the other side, when shit like that happens, and it's like, it doesn't make any sense. I kind of also think well, there's got to be an insight that somebody found somewhere that makes sense. And I wonder what that is. I would imagine there's a glut of creators. Who would who would just gladly just pump out product videos for them. I mean, I'm sure it exists. That economy is there. But I don't know. Maybe don't make it such big news because I don't see that going over one. Yeah, it's not the best messaging. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's... I mean, yes, $25 is not a lot of money. But at the same time, it's like, I don't in any way endorse what Amazon did. I I think um, it is a a bit insulting. The the flip side is there are so many creators out there now. There's a glut of content. All right, my follow, unfollow is, uh, you guys remember the Numa Numa guy? (laughs) So he just, his name's, Gary Brolsma, Numa Numa came out almost 20 years ago, I guess 19 years ago. He just revisited it and did a new take on Numa Numa. And I still haven't watched it, but I saw the headline. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally missed that. I used to play that all the time. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I love those old internet sort of viral videos. It's so fun. Bit of a tangent before we go to the last question or follow, unfollow. Your favorite collab of all time so far. You've done Ed Sheeran, Bert Kreischer. Like, you've done so many. Sh- I think you did one with Shaq, right? And Gronk. Oh, no. We were, at, we were at a conference, met Gronk. And then I asked Shaq if he wanted to take a picture. And he said he was allergic to fur. You know, I'm allergic. Yeah. I can't, I can't, my voice can't even get that deep. I'm not even going to try an impression. Probably the, my favorite was the Mets. Oh, that's amazing. Because they let me throw out the first, they, they let me throw out the first pitch at one of their games, which was super cool. My dad's been a Mets fan his entire life. So that was a neat one. And also like, yeah, getting an email from Ed Sheeran's team being like, Hey, Maxine wants to, or Ed wants to meet Maxine. I was like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I remember seeing that one. I was like, what? the hell like that's i have a picture with ed when he's he must be 15 i must be 16 or 17 i was living in italy and no. he was just playing at some bar in in london he was sleeping on his friend's couch he plays i was with a bunch of friends we're like this guy is unbelievable we invite him over to have some beers with us we bought like 12 of cds 
And I have a picture. I'm so young. I have to send you this picture. And Ed Sheeran is like a baby. And then, I don't know, five years later, I hear him on the radio. I'm like, this is hilarious. Oh, my God. Do you still have those CDs? I probably have it on my iTunes. They were CDs, right? They were discs. This was a long time ago. So they were actual discs. But I remember playing it in my car. It's just funny how we all thought this kid was just so talented. It's, It's good when talent actually finds a way. Oh, yeah, he's crazy, he's crazy talented. Talk yeah, about. that's amazing. And second favorite collab was, was uh, you know, the handful of times I took photos with Maxine, but we don't need to get into that. We need to keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> um, we need to get Maxine on your back when you're surfing. Well, we can wrap it up. This was honestly amazing, Brian. Like, I'm dead serious. This was really, really great. I had a blast. I hope the listeners did too. Really appreciative of you being so generous with your time and sharing your thoughts, which are, I mean, it's it's so clear you've thought so deeply about this and a lot and you're passionate and it is totally picking up on uh, audio and video. Thanks so much, Brian. Awesome. All right, we can wrap it up. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. And for more of the latest news on what's happening in influencer marketing and the creator economy, check out the Creator Economy Insider newsletter, delivering awesome content straight to your inbox every Friday. And if you want to meet Brendan and I in person, along with some of the incredible guests that will be joining us on the show live and in person, join us at Creator Economy Live on January 17th next year. You can find links to the newsletter and more info on the live event in our bio. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This podcast is brought to you by Linkia, the number one influencer marketing partner for the world's leading brands. Having executed over 3,000 campaigns for more than 650 brands, Linkia combines technology powered by Google Vision AI with award-winning service to deliver measurable influencer results.